0: I'm Natalia Loback, and this is Change Course Gravity. This episode is all about the gravity of culture and where it comes from. I've mentioned that culture in an organization feels like it has a gravitational center to which all of the people and all of the elements of the organization are pulled toward and align with. That gravitational center is, well, characterized by what I will call The second most important thing to know about humans, if the first one is that we love homeostasis, the second one is that we sure love our group dynamics. Humans are social creatures. We exist in groups. And as much as your flip-flop sweatpants wearing selves might think, After two and a half years of working at home alone, there is something we miss about being with other people. And you know what? You can already see it um, at the rates at which people are getting together and socializing. We miss each other. We miss being in person with other people and we miss the groups of people that we love. So don't argue with me on this one. I know I'm right. Well, organizations are groups of people too, and we'll get into what characterizes a workplace organization versus other kinds of organizations from the lens of group dynamics. The most important thing you need to remember about group dynamics, which sounds like something you probably already know a lot about, but maybe just haven't thought about or, like, you know, looked up those social psychologists that talk about this kind of stuff. Group dynamics is characterized by the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Now tell me you've heard that one before. I know you have. So here we are, and we are going to do a deep dive and rip-roaring fast tour of social psychology and how it relates to organizational culture. So this phrase, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, was used to describe the intangible nature of group dynamics by the Gestalt psychologist Max Wertheimer. Which, please forgive my German pronunciation, it's been a really long time. So, again, you know, he was struggling with this, saying that, you know, there's a bunch of things we can't explain, because if we just look at the individual parts, what's happening is greater than that. And what's happening goes beyond. If we isolate each of the individuals out of the equation, somehow, when everyone's together, we get something that's even bigger and more exciting, I think. So, group dynamics. Do you know who that was coined by? Do you remember Lewin? We talked about him a few episodes ago. So, the unfreeze, change, and refreeze model. Hey, Kurt Lewin, you are really a person of the times. So, Kurt Lewin was a social psychologist. So, you know, he started change management and he also was working heavily in group dynamics. If I could go back in time, he would be the person that I think I would want to talk to the most because he did all sorts of really cool stuff. At some point, I might do an episode just devoted to him and all of the things that he has influenced and informed and pushed forward in this amazing field. But I digress. That will be another time. But, you know, he was really talking about those positive and negative forces within groups of people. And so, you know, he actually started the Group Dynamics Research Center at MIT, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, he took the learning and the practice of group dynamics and tried to apply it to real world situations. Again, one of my favorite people, oh my goodness, because, you know, that's what we're all about here in change, right? We're trying to take these theories and apply them and use them in real world situations to make change happen. Anyway, this is just so amazing because it really talks about the social environment and the social system of humans. So when we're talking about organizational systems, that's, you know, one lens that we need to come at the organization with when we're talking about systems and we're looking at change. And, you know, I've broken this down in other episodes. When we're talking about culture, we need to talk about the cultural system, which is driven by group dynamics and the social environment of the organization. So as we start to break this down with this lens, we're going to start to see a lot of really cool alignments. One of the interesting things that comes into play here is power and power relationships. So William Schutz, um, he looked at the interpersonal relationships and specific elements, including inclusion so am I included in this group? Control, who is the person, who is the boss here? And affection, so do I belong? So as we know, inclusion and belonging are important parts of the cultural fabric of an organization and the social fabric of an organization Generally, in organizations where people feel included and that they belong and that they have a purpose and function tend to do better overall. So better performance, um, you know, better staff attraction and retention, because these are for humans, very important things. So let's break down inclusion and belonging just a little bit more. So there's this idea that comes in called social cohesion. And cohesion talks about the bonds that are formed between people in a group. Cohesion doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't happen spontaneously. This is, you know, cohesion characterizes a relationship. So it takes intention and it takes time to make that happen. So cohesion then can have components to it. So there is an attraction component and this is where you characterize how much each of the group members like each other and may be attracted to power and influence um, and those types of elements and dynamics within that group environment. A sense of belonging is another component of social cohesion. So is there a high sense of inclusion and belonging among group members? Typically, we feel like we belong when we feel understood and seen and that people are like us or similar to us. So that, you know, is something to consider as well. Coordination is another component. So the group has to have some sort of purpose or function, um, you know, and it can be task focused like in an organization or it could be, um, you know, focused towards other types of goals. So, uh, you know, you could talk about uh, religious organizations, um, you know, other social groups that would form and come together um, that would characterize the coordination or the focus of the group. The last piece is shared emotion. And I mean, come on, I love to talk about emotion in change. But you know, isn't it amazing that emotion comes up here too. So when we're talking about this idea of social cohesion, and having group members feel connected and central to a whole, part of that Um, rests in our emotions and our emotional connection to the group and our emotional connection to the people in that group. So pretty amazing, but also really interesting as we start to think about that in terms of organizational culture. Now you can see that idea of the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So sometimes I like to think of, um, when you're looking at group dynamics and you might have drawn the, you know, a round table, a picture of a round table, and that table may have three seats around the table. And you start to draw the lines of the relationships be- between each of the people. And there aren't that many lines, but every time you increase the number of people at the table by one, your Number of lines goes up by a factorial, which in math, I'm not going to get into the math, but it's an exponential number. So, you know, you look at the proliferation of relationships as you add one more person to the group and those interpersonal relationships, those one on one connections between each of the people in the group, then you start to see why culture is so difficult a web to break because it relies. And I mean, culture is built by those relationships and those interactions between each of those people. So just imagine when you're looking at an organization of 25, 50, a hundred, a 1, thousand people, You may not have one-on-one relationships with a thousand people in an organization, but those interdependent webs of people that are connected and interconnected create this incredibly strong web that draws towards that gravitational center of culture. This is also why my change methodology is called Connected Change, because those relationships and connections are the lifeblood of the organization. And if you are trying to change and you're ignoring that context, oh my goodness, you are definitely going to fail. So when we break that down in terms of culture, it's really the characteristics of those interactions and behaviors. And then that cohesion, that center, that gravitational center of the group that describes the norms, what is acceptable, what is not, how do we behave? How do we interact? How do things get done around here? You know, that's really what we're talking about. And I love that so much of this can be drawn back into psychology, social psychology, science. You know, it just starts to make a lot more sense. It really crystallizes it for me. And I hope that it's helpful for you. Okay, so after that deep dive, Back to group dynamics. So I'm sure you've heard of the five phases of a team. Um, So or, you know, as they're called uh, uh, Tuckman's stages uh, for a group. Um, Well, there's five now, but the forming, storming, norming, performing and adjourning. (sighs) Yes, Um, that's quite a mouthful. Don't say it five times fast, but This describes how groups come together, um, go through each phase of development and then come apart. This really helpfully describes things like projects, uh, you know, special missions, that kind of stuff. Um, And really interesting how uh, Tuckman broke down the different ways that the group comes together and comes apart. And, you know, where some of the pitfalls and acceleration happens. I've heard so much about this model. You know, I hear it all the time. It always comes back to me in different ways. Uh, It's a really interesting one. If you haven't encountered it before, it's a great foundation and foundational model to understand. So highly recommend you look it up. Um, You mean, it's everywhere. Once you see it once, you're going to see it everywhere all of the time. And, you know, the very last thing that I want to mention is... This idea of groups having different characteristics, and this links back to what I talked about in the first episode when I talked about the archetypes and metaphors of the organization. So when we're looking at groups and we're looking at organizations, there are different ways that they collect and there are different characteristics to different types of groups. The first is a primary group. So a primary group is categorized by being fairly small, long lasting. Um, You know, membership of the primary group tends to be fairly stable. There isn't a lot of entry and exit. Um, You could potentially be part of several primary groups in different ways. But, you know, a primary group long lasting relationships, people know each other really well, these relationships tend to extend over a long period of time. So starts to sound a lot like the family that we talked about in episode one um, of this series specifically. But you know, that's one of the ways that you can describe a primary group is a family. So here's where that metaphor kind of bangs up against what you want to start to talk about in terms of what characterizes organizations. So an organization or, you know, a workplace type of organization is technically known as a social group. Um, and I mean, this can be a bit confusing because it's quite vague in terms of the description, but it's a formally organized group. They're not emotionally involved with each other. And they tend to be bigger, but the membership of the group can fluctuate. So you can have a lot of entries and exits. And they're task focused. That sounds a lot more like a workplace, doesn't it? I mean, family relationships, these long emotional ties. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense in a primary group. But a social group, you know the emotion piece that we talked about in terms of cohesion. That's a different type of emotion, emotional piece. That's not talking about, you know, the gravity of the different relationships that you're going through. Um, you know, working through a loved one's illness. Uh, you know, talking about a lot of these. You know, really heavy personal things that you would go through in terms of emotion, right? In a friendship group, or in a family group, we tend to support each other through those very difficult things that happen in life, right? But a social group isn't really characterized by that. I mean, I'm not taking, you know, the litany of my problems and my struggles into work every day. I mean, most of us don't. So That is a difference that is really important to point out. And when we describe organizations as families, to me, that gets really, really muddy. So a social group, again, going back to the second one, um, they're task oriented. They're not relationship oriented. So co-workers, clubs, sports teams, social organizations, um, you know, I'm a member of a yacht club, that is a social group. We're not bringing, you know, I might have some primary groups as a part of that larger group. But in, in essence, that larger group does not play the role of a primary group in my life, right? I mean, I go there because I like boating. And there's other people there who like the same things. And it's organized around, you know, this love of the water, different entirely than you know, a primary relationship that might exist within that larger group or a primary group that might exist within that larger group of friends or, you know, close family members. So can you start to see how that kind of isn't aligned anymore? Like, you know, this idea of family as an organization not really aligning with what we understand as a social group. Anyway, that's where my beef is with that whole organizational definition but I digress. So the other types of groups are collectives, very large. So again, you know, social group is big, but a collective is really big. So, you know, this is where, um, people can come together around a cause, uh, you know, protests or movements are really good examples of collectives. They're spontaneous. They come together for a short period of time and then they disband. Almost naturally, they sort of have a life of their own and they sort of work that way. Um, categories. Again, like a little bit of confusion in the names here, but this is a collection of individuals that are very similar in some ways. Um, so, again, this is where we start to get into things like cultural um, appearance, heritage, etc., cetera, um, ethnicity, ethnicity. Um, Categories. This is where I think, you know, they're just trying to describe, you know, you're together based on a certain um, phenotype, but you're not really connected in terms of what you might have in terms of connection with other people in that group. Maybe outsiders might collect you in such a way, but, um, you know, it's not necessarily a true representation of an actual. Social group that might have some sort of cohesion, shared purpose, relationship, that kind of thing. So those are, you know, four ways to break down um, the aggregation of people in different ways and, and the groups, essentially. So when we're talking about the group dynamics, this is what we're talking about in terms of culture so if we take the group dynamics lens and we look at culture through this lens a lot of the relationships and the interactions and all of that starts to come to light so groups have a gravitational center people want to belong so they will as they join a group sometimes change some of their behaviors or some behaviors will become more prominent and others will fade. You start to align or conform with the group. And that is all part of human conditioning. That is all part of who we are and the way we are. And so you can start to see that as you have that larger group um, and many of these things are indoctrinated as people enter the group, it's very difficult to then reach into that group and start to fracture it. And so groups in this way, in terms of group dynamics are very resistant to being fractured and so when you're coming into an organization when you're looking at it in terms of a social group when you're looking at the group dynamics and how they how they work within that context what you need to do is if you're chain making some kind of change you need to do it within the context of those group dynamics or that culture such that your change will be successful if you're actually looking at changing the culture itself That's where group dynamics becomes of utmost importance because you've really got to be looking at that longer time frame that you know, interest from leadership. And you know, as much as we might want to say, as humans, we don't like power structures or we don't respond to them. It's actually part of our social nature that we do, in fact, respond to power structures. We do respond to powerful people. And so, as we're looking at changing a culture, power is really an important part of that. Um, and power shows up in a bunch of different ways. The reason why power and influence are an element in connected change is because. You can have power related to your position and structure in the organization, fancy title, big corner office, absolutely, but you can also have influence in an organization. And cultural groups and this idea of group dynamics also have cultural leaders or cultural influencers that also hold a lot of power within the organization And so looking at change through this lens, it starts to make a lot more sense as to why culture change is so difficult and why it takes such a long time. One of the only other ways to disrupt a cultural system within an organization is to remove or reorganize a number of those component parts. Um, Now, this is really difficult to do, and it can have the opposite effect of what you might desire, but changing physically or forcibly changing some of those relationships can actually change like or help you change the culture. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about that um, in one of the other episodes. We do get into uh, organizational exits around culture um, and why sometimes that is necessary, Um, But that really is from this idea of group dynamics and also from the diffusion of innovation that we talked about with Rogers several episodes ago. Uh, You know, this all has important weight as we start to talk about changing culture um, in organizations. Whoa! well, that was a whirlwind tour of social psychology and group dynamics and social cohesion. And oh, my goodness. I mean, this could be its own series of episodes in and unto itself, but I'm hoping that this provides just a high level overview of how these things relate to culture and how you see them play out both in change and in cultural change specifically. So August is Culture Month here at the Change Course Podcast and at charthouse.ca. We've brought you a ton of content already, but we still have a little bit more to go before summer is over. So stay tuned because we've got uh, quite a few more great um, episodes to come as we round out the summer and, you know, a couple more articles and a blog post Um, as we finish up this amazing culture month. So I have dropped a lot of content and a lot of different ideas over the last few weeks. I would love to hear from you to hear how you have thought about this, how you've observed it, maybe how you've worked with it in your own organization. So certainly follow along to all of our different channels and reach out to me either um, as a response to one of the posts um, to this podcast or otherwise. And uh, I would love to hear from you. I look forward to addressing your comments and questions in upcoming episodes and as we round out this month. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, I invite you to like, rate, share, and subscribe because it helps others find us. Our music is Levity by Emily Claussen. Change Course can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And we have an accessible version with fully edited captions on YouTube. You can find the link to this version on www.charthouse.ca in the Change Course podcast show notes. While you're visiting us, sign up for the Change Navigator newsletter. We're launching shortly, and you'll get a monthly dispatch of all things change and hear about the upcoming launch of ConnectedChange.com. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's never too late to change course.